Howdy folks, this is Scott Parker and you're listening to another episode of Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast for October of 2022. And we have a very interesting and different episode for you this time. In this episode, KTDF, Keep the Dream Flowing, tells all. In this very special part one of a two-part episode, our wonderful and amazing new co-host Aaron Shearer interviews Johnny Jack and myself about the origins of the show, how we get our guests, and so much more. This interview was recorded for NPR affiliate WJFF earlier this year, and it is our pleasure to present to you the complete interview that Aaron did with us. We hold nothing back, folks. It's just a really fun little how the sausage is made sort of interview, and we think you will enjoy it. So for now, here's part one of Aaron interviewing Jack, Johnny, and myself. It's the Aaron Shearer Show, right here on Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast. So on to the first question that I have for you guys, which is uh, the story I understand about how all of you came to know each other is that you guys are memorabilia and autograph collectors and very and specifically but not fully collectors of Woodstock memorabilia and that the three of you met through autograph shows that's mostly true but not real <laughs> you want it's you not want so to... true of me that you know no, it's it is not true, true, of it's not true at all of you and yeah. it's not true how I met John but John oh, okay. and I are both autograph collectors I collect autographs and I collect and I one of the things I bought was a 25th anniversary edition a second printing of the Arnold Skolnick poster that was commissioned for the 25th anniversary and there were two there's a limited edition signed by six uh and then there was a broader version signed by three or four so I bought the poster was signed by Arnold Skolnick uh Richie Havens and Grace Slick. Yeah, it was signed by three. The, bro- the narrower version also has Carlos Santana, Baby Gravy, and Country Joe. I used to work for the Princeton Review, and my tutoring coordinator, who I found very attractive, asked me to take a student up in Monticello. And I was like, that's an hour away. Why would I do that? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, you're asking me? Okay, sure. And of course, it got me nowhere with her, but that's besides the point. Anyway, so I got up there and I said, I got this poster. Let me try and get it signed by as many people as possible. So I live in Rockland County, New York, and there's a small venue called The Turning Point that seats about, in Piermont, New York, which seats about 80 people. And Marty Bowen was playing there. So I started doing research as to who was at Woodstock. You know, I kind of knew which bands were there, and but I didn't know who was in the band that particular weekend. And, but with Google and other things, you get to find that out. And one of the resources I found when I was Googling was this message board about the Woodstock, the Woodstock project where, in which they were trying to recreate an audio version and to some extent a video version of the Woodstock Festival. 
Now, this is back in 99, 2000. Yep. And that's where I met Scott. Now while, <laughs> I, now, while I was on this project, it became a quest to try to get as many people to sign my poster as possible. So in my travels, I met another guy who was on a similar journey in Connecticut named Gary Lebo, who's since deceased. Through him, he was a former journalist and a bit of a nudge. So he was more of, he was more assertive and aggressive than I was. So he'd look up these people. One of the people we pursued was Juma Sultan, who at the time lived in the Woodstock, New York area. And we met him and he was talking about how he was looking to make some money. And at the time, Gary knew of a guy named Charles Rosenay who was putting on the National Rock Comp. And this was, I guess, 2009. Yeah, I've known Charles for years. Yeah, yeah but this was, just, well, he, he's a big figure in Connecticut. He's been putting on shows. I didn't really know Charles, but he was putting on a National Rock Con, and which is like a baseball card show for, or Comic Con, but for musicians. So we got Juma to be in this and we were working with Juma. And then, I ended up spending more time with Juma than Gary did. And I ended up working with Juma for a period of time. And I set up Juma's Facebook page and other social media accounts. And while I was on my quest meeting people, I'd hear about, oh, you're on this Woodstock quest? I met these two crazy guys from Georgia or from the Southeast. And I kept hearing about them. And I'm like... I got to meet these guys. And I got a letter from, I got a, Juma got a Facebook message from Johnny say, explaining that he was also on Woodstock Quest and he wanted to meet Juma to sign some things for him. So, that, and I'm like, aha. Mm -hmm. And that's how I met Johnny. And then when Scott decided to start the podcast, we got Johnny as a guest. Why well, ask Johnny? I asked Scott if, if I could assist him in any way, shape, or form. And he said, how about being a co-host? Which I wasn't expecting. But I, I'm glad that he asked that because I like it. And I think I'm fairly good at it. But <laughs> that, that's to be determined. Um, I can't do this all by myself, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we started, Scott and I started booking guests. And one of the guests we booked was Johnny. And then he said, I want it in. And that's how the Holy Trinity came to be. <laughs> but I'll let Scott and Johnny yeah. fill in their sides of the story. Well, you, you go for it, Johnny. Well, I started collecting autographs as a kid. I mean, I'm as a small child, sports. And then later on, I got into music. And when I was a, a young guy, a young kid, my uncle worked for Warner Brothers, which, you know, that's, the Woodstock album was Cotillion, which was Warner Brothers. And my uncle would bring home records of anyone, you know, just freebies and for me to listen to. And I had never heard of most of these groups, but I got into them and, and I love, loved Woodstock since I was a little, I mean, a small child. And so in the late nineties, I met some people that did music autographs. I had always just pretty much done sports for many years. 
And I got tired of being cussed out by people at sporting events. So I decided to go into music and get cussed out by them, I guess. (laughs) So, and I went to the 30th anniversary. It was called A Day at the Garden on August 15th, 1999, up there at Bethel. And I'd, I'd always wanted to visit the original site, but I never, you know, I'd never gotten around to it. So a friend and I went up there. And it was like it was there was an aura at the, you know, the original site. And they had they had a bunch of former people there. Richie Havens was there. Melanie, Arlo Guthrie, Johnny Winter, David Crosby, Country Joe, you know, a bunch of people that were actually at Woodstock. And I and they signed a few pieces and the aforementioned Michael Lang. That was the first time I met him up there. I had no idea he was going to be there. And then it was like an arrow through the brain. You know, my dad retired from Delta. I can fly dirt cheap on our passes. I'll just start traveling places. Now, this was when you could get places standby. Now, you, it's very difficult because they've cut so many flights, et cetera, Delta. But so I started flying everywhere. And then it just became a quest I've been to England to meet people. I've been to Canada. I've been, gosh, almost every state in this union. <laughs> but it's become a hobby. And I've met, at this point, it's run its course because the few people that are alive that I haven't met, they're not interested in signing or anything or doing photos. So at this point, you know, it's, I guess you could say it's on hiatus. And I, and I got to know, Jack told you that story. I got to know Jack, and then I got to know Scott on Facebook, and, and the three of us ended up doing this. And it's, you know, and it's just a lot of fun. We love it. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, the, the origin of the podcast was just that um, I have for the last 10 years um, done uh, this thing called the Zappa cast, which if you know who Frank Zappa is, uh, you know, famous American composer, he, uh, <laughs> um, I work for his family doing their official podcast, which is, you know, that's the thing called the Zappa cast. So I had been doing that for years. And then, you know, I mean, very briefly on my Woodstock origin story, um, I've told this story on the show before, but um, my brother-in-law, during the Vietnam war, he was stationed in Korea. So he didn't see any combat, but what he did get was a lot of really horrible, cheesy quality pirated American albums from, uh, from Korea. And he brought them all back. And uh, the two I can remember are Tommy James and the Shondell's greatest hits and, <laughs> and um, the Woodstock soundtrack. And when I heard it, you know, the, the, the line that I use is that it was like a movie for my eyes because I knew nothing about Woodstock, literally nothing, but just listening to it and seeing what I could see of the poorly reproduced pictures on the cover. I just felt like I was there. It was a really weird feeling. I mean, I, it's hard to explain. And then um, ever since then, over the years, I've collected every scrap horrifying scrap of, uh, of audio and video that I could. And, um, you know, I mean, it, eventually, because I had been doing the Zappa podcast, I decided to why not do a, a, um, a Woodstock show and try to collect some of the stories that are not um, as well known. 
as some of the, you know, like the marquee names that you associate with Woodstock. Right. So, um, you know, like, for example, Michael Lang is a great interview and he's going to tell you, you know, the story from his perspective and he's done a million interviews, but there's, you know, a half million people and, um, you know, all kinds of band members who played at Woodstock who really haven't told their stories. And that was kind of the thrust. Um, we have gotten to speak to some very well-known people, wavy gravy being an obvious one, but, um, yeah, I got, uh, Jack and Johnny on the show because they know their stuff. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I don't really have a personality, so it would be really nice to have, <laughs> to have them on the show. So that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of how this whole crazy thing started. And, you know, we're over 80 episodes in now. Well, yep. also, mm. you have a band, Tablature, mm -hmm. which has been playing. Gerald Abramson and the late Roy Howard bought Max Jasker's actual farmhouse. Yes. And they started before Bethel Woods, they started having an anniversary. You know, I don't know Roy's whole story. And we haven't really gotten into Gerald's whole story, how they got into Woodstock. But for whatever reason, they decided to buy the house. And then because they had the house, they decided to commemorate the anniversary of the Woodstock Festival by having bands play at his, at their house, at his house. Yep. And Scott has been part of that for a number of years. I don't know how long. Nine but, years now. Yeah. Okay. But part of doing the pod, another impetus for doing the podcast was to promote Gerald's show mm -hmm. at her house at the anniversary weekend. And that's why she was the first guest. Yeah, they call it the Yasgur Road reunion. And and sometimes people who did play at Woodstock do play at the reunion. So um, it's just a fun little gathering for people that went in 1969. And um, um, just all sorts of, you know, groovy people, man. They come in from all over the place. You know, it's fun. So it's good times. Yeah, one of the people we interviewed is a guy named Harry Loco who lives in the Netherlands and he flies in for that and performs at that. We'd like to do a, a medley of our hit. You all right, lad? Yeah, roughly. It's late at night. Oh. You've really been fantastic waiting for, uh, for all these people. Wow. Looking at the world through the sunset in your eyes. Traveling the train through glimmer of the skies Ducks and pigs and chickens calls Animal carpet wall to wall American ladies five foot tall in blue Sweeping cobwebs from the edges of my mind Had to get away to seek what we could find Hope the days that lie ahead Bring us back to where they've led Listen not to what's been said to you Don't you know we're riding on the Marrakesh Express Don't you know we're riding on the Marrakesh Express They're taking me to Marrakesh All on board the train All on board the train yeah. I've been saving all my money just to take you there I smell the gun 
Africa going south Blowing smoke rings from the corners of my, 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 my Colored cottons hang in the air Charming cobras in the square Strange lovers we can wear at home Don't you know we're riding on the Marrakesh Express Don't you know we're riding on the Marrakesh Express They're taking me to Marrakesh All on board the train All on board the train All on board Yeah! Thank you. Scott has also written a lot of books. I'll let him tell you about that. Yeah, I've written a lot of books. I've written a book about Woodstock that's called Woodstock Documented, which is about the um, audio and visual documentation of Woodstock. I've written books about the monkeys. I've written books about uh, the band Kiss and a bunch of books about Frank Zappa. So, you know, so I'm also a writer. But getting also getting to something that Scott said earlier, I know for myself when in meeting all these people, because, you know, I was anxious to just meet everybody who is attached to Woodstock, not the people in the audience, but the performers and people who put it on. So I was looking to meet Michael Lang and Artie Kornfeld and Wavy Gravy, who was, you know, an MC or was part of the hog farm, but I knew him from being on stage and, you know, John Mars, who we've interviewed, also interviewed. And then I got to meet some of the other people behind Woodstock Ventures. But that's a whole other story. But these, as when I'm talking to them, they all have stories. And especially, you know, like everybody knows Carlos Santana played Woodstock. Not that many people know that Michael Shreve was his drummer at Woodstock. And Michael Shreve is a very accomplished musician, if you look him up. But, but you know, or... Sean on it's like everybody thinks of Bowser who wasn't at Woodstock because yeah. he was on the TV show, but he joined later. But when you meet these guys, they're like, A, how'd you find me? How'd you know I played Woodstock? And <laughs> let me tell you my story about Woodstock. Yeah. And, you know, Rob Leonard, who was one of the lead singers of Sean on at the time, is anxious to tell his story and is very happy to tell his story about Woodstock and he's and some of these guys were like thankful for the recognition hmm. so anyway I'm sorry you know we asked your question <laughs> well actually my next question is actually for you although I think the three of you have already answered like three of the questions as it is but okay. Jack you're actually now coordinating the concerts at Gerald Abramson's property no Scott is I am actually okay. doing that yeah um, I actually just started a couple of months ago and um, I'm what you call the project manager. So they, she wanted to put somebody in charge of it that was, um, I, I guess, respectful to the whole Woodstock thing. And um, yeah, we have um, this year, I think we're going to have somewhere in the area of 26 bands and it's going to be held over four days from August 11th through the 14th. And she tries to hold it as close to the anniversary of the original festival as possible. Um, people come and they camp 
a lot of local bands, a few headliners. You know, it's just a good time. You know, it it kind of is. And I'm not casting any aspersions on what they do over at Bethel Woods, where the Woodstock Festival was held. But it's a little bit more like you would imagine Woodstock was over at Gerald's, over at Yazga Road. So it's just an honor to be um, involved in that. All right. So now is her um, festival and her property, the Yazger House, uh, is that the one that had the 50th anniversary celebration a few years back that Michael Lang actually ended up making an appearance at after, you know, Woodstock 50 got the plug pulled? It it was, Yes. yes. I just missed him by about a half hour. And I knew that he could have been showing up because there was a number of uh, people there who were Woodstock 1969 staff, which is not something that you see happening all at once. So I had a feeling he was coming, but we had tickets to see Ringo Starr. So I had to go to see Ringo. But <laughs> but yeah, but but yeah, he did make it. So it's my understanding is uh, so where is it that the title of the podcast comes from again? Was it Gerald or was it somebody else? Somebody else. Yeah, it was uh, Tisha Agri, who if you look at pictures of Michael Lang at Woodstock, very often he is accompanied by um, this, uh, you know, lovely young lady who is your classic hippie chick. She's got the hat and she's got, you know, the, the clothes and all that stuff. And she's in a lot of pictures with him. You'll see the same girl. That was Tish Agri, who was well, Michael she, Lang's she assistant. Was, she was his assistant. Yes. Yeah. And she's so she's in a lot of, the, yeah, that's, that was his assistant. Right. And so um, I was talking with her about, uh, she's actually a good friend. And um, I was talking with her about names for the show and she came up with keep the dream flowing. So that was her title. And because she's Tisha and because we worship the ground she walks on, that's the <laughs> title of the show. <laughs> How did you become friends with her? I just reached out to her on um, on on Facebook, I think. And then uh, not too long after that, I met her because uh, I met her and Joyce Mitchell, who also worked uh, on the Woodstock uh, staff. Um, took them up to Bethel Woods for the day that the day that um, I saw you up there, Jack. Yeah, and yeah, she's yeah, become yeah. a no, really I, good friend since then. I didn't. I thought I didn't know that you, whether you had established friendships before that. I know that's when you met Joyce. Yeah, probably. Well, I knew Tisha longer, just correspondence-wise, and we talked on the phone a lot. Probably a couple of years before that, I would say. And I think that, and I think that's the first time we actually met in person. I think so. Yeah. yeah, actually, I think you're right. So that was 2019. That was for the 50th. And there right. was a big reunion of um, Woodstock 69 staff. And I happened to bring these two ladies to Bethel Woods. And I got to sit out back by at Bethel Woods before everybody went on to do this, this um, uh, panel discussion. I just sat back there with all these people who were my heroes from Woodstock and it was just incredible. So, you know, I'm forever indebted to Wade and the guys at, Beth- at Bethel Woods for that. Yeah. Um, uh, that was a panel that um, Bethel Woods put on uh, celebrating the staff, the people who put together the Woodstock festival. They did a mm-hmm. number of symposiums that year and this was Woodstock ventures people and John Morris was there 
and Chris Langhart and Bill Belmont and Tisha and Joyce. The higher ups. And I and I know I'm leaving out people, but those were those were a lot of the people who were there and they showed a film um about building woods creating woodstock creating yeah. woodstock that yeah, it's uh, on youtube it's on youtube that um john morris's nephew uh put together mm-hmm. it's a good it's, it's an excellent movie yeah it was a great gathering of the staff the only person who wasn't real uh, well joel Ro- uh, rosenman wasn't there either but uh michael wasn't there because at the time he was working on what would have been woodstock 50 in watkins Glen. Yeah. And they couldn't get Chipmunk from Australia. Yeah, yeah, he's in Australia. <laughs> um, so you a little bit earlier, you talked a little bit um, that part of the reason you started this podcast is that you wanted to tell some of the stories that maybe weren't quite as well known. Do you mind maybe elaborating a little bit more on that? Sure. Um, you know, there's been a lot of books that have been written about Woodstock. And, you know, I mean, I wrote one. There's a lot of people that have had a lot to say, but generally speaking, uh, when you read these books, it's not always true, but typically you'll you'll hear a lot of the same names. So you'll you'll see uh, Michael Lang, um, Artie Kornfeld and John Roberts, Joe Roseman. Those were the four partners that put Woodstock together. A lot of the marquee musicians, Carlos Santana you know, the people of people of that Joan Baez, people of that sort. Richie, Richie Haven, Haven, Melanie. Yep. They've all took, I mean, they've all told their Woodstock stories. Yeah. And, you know, if you take, um, you know, just take, for example, Arlo Guthrie, who's been interviewed a million times um, about Woodstock. Uh, He had a band with him. And I found it fascinating to find the people, for example, find the people who were in his band or in all of these bands and get their stories as well, because sometimes they contradict the stories that the band leaders have been telling for 50 plus years. But it's really interesting to have their voices because those voices are not documented. So it's just about you know, for me, it's about documentation. I'm sure Jack and Johnny feel the same way because um, sometimes we do interview, you know, like I said, you know, we did have Artie Kornfeld on the show. We had Wavy Gravy. There's been people like that, but there's so many stories. And that includes the people in the crowd who have been underrepresented in terms of getting their stories archived, I guess. And it's kind of the way I look at it is sort of for future generations of historians, because I think this is an event that's going to continue to fascinate people. It's weird the way that Woodstock affects people who were never there. I mean, I certainly was never there. I wasn't born yet. Um, but, you know, but it's, the, the movie helped. I yeah, mean, big time. And the, the movie helped a lot. And a lot of people who saw the movie thought they were there. The movie was that well done. It, of mm-hmm. course, won the Best Documentary Academy Award for 1970. Mm-hmm. And Michael Wadley did a fa- fantastic job. To add to what Scott was saying, like every, like he said, everyone knows that, you know, the names, the most common names were at Woodstock. But, like, we've interviewed people who have a story who weren't, you know, that, that like, for example, in the movie, there's a guy, those that have seen the movie, he's six foot is. nine. 
and he comes out of the port of John with a pipe, and he didn't have Borkum Rift pipe tobacco in it. If you catch my drift. <laughs> and that's an iconic scene in the movie. His name is Wayne Rogers. I mean, that was a wonderful guy to interview. If you've seen the movie, you know the guy, but no one would think in a million years, you know, is this guy still on the planet? And he is. <laughs> and then we interviewed a lady, Lenny Binder, who, if you Google her, she's known as the peanut butter and jelly sandwich lady. Her, her husband, they had a, they owned what, a couple of gas stations or something. Yeah. And they lived close by to Bethel, but she didn't go to the festival, but she had a couple of her drivers, you know, make, I mean, just deliveries. I think she made approximately 200 yeah. sandwiches because she was hearing on the news that they were having problems getting food in because the, the traffic and everything and the roads were closed. So she had her drivers just, you know, drop these sandwiches off. If you see the people, you know, give them sandwiches. And if you run out, you run mm-hmm. out. Yeah. And when we, and we interviewed a lot of people that were guests, I mean, not guests, excuse me, uh, attendees. And, and you hear stories that you wouldn't even think to hear. You know, because they tell you about one guy, Stephen Brown, was talking about he wore pajamas. <laughs> you know, that he's the only guy. <laughs> the one guy who brought pajamas his pajamas. Yep. Woodstock. Yep. It's, that's what's unique about this. I mean. Uh, that's that we know of. There could have been other pajamas. But we, yeah. We heard yeah. about Stephen. We heard about. Not Stephen with feet. Pajamas, and there's yeah. even a picture of him with his pajamas that's out there. Yeah, that's right. Well, we have it. We're not so, allowed to release it. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's the fun part about this. I mean, yeah, you know, you interview a guy that performed at Woodstock. He's done a million interviews on this, like 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 we were saying. But these people that are that I don't want to call them the little people because that's not the right way. The people that are that are not famous per se, but well, their well, stories well, well, are well, remarkable. Hmm? Yeah. But the, the stories, like you talk to a guy that came from, you know, Hackensack, New Jersey, or, or somebody that came from Wyoming, hypothetically. We haven't talked to anybody from there. but And they tell you their adventure, how they got there, and what they saw. And they tell you little stories that you're like, man, that's interesting. And that, that's another reason we like doing this or love doing this, because you hear – you hear stories that aren't commonplace. You know, you can, everybody knows people got high at Woodstock, but they tell <laughs> stories that you're like, man, we, we never even, that would never even occur to us. Yeah.
get too low with no loser. You say it's the moon or maybe the season. But something is not the same And I won't let my mind believe There's something wrong All the feeling's gone I can't make it anymore Lately, I don't feel much like talking. Instead of going home, I just go out walking. Something is not the same, and I won't let my mind be something change. I don't feel the same. I can't make it anymore. But I just can't lie When I feel this way There are things I must say I can't make it anymore I can't make it anymore I can't make it anymore I belong Let me find out when Did it all begin Why I'm leaving you While love is through Can't make it anymore mm -hmm. Can't make it I can't make it anymore. Ooh.
The Lenny Binder story in particular was really interesting to me because, you know, um, obviously she's the peanut butter and jelly lady. But if you consider her age at the time this took place, I mean, she may have been married with a child, but she wasn't that much older than a lot of the people no, who were no. attending. No. And, you know, like yes, maybe it, even in some cases, the same age as a lot of the is some of the people that were attending. Yeah. And I think her story is really fascinating because about the struggle for, you know, the Beth, what's now Bethel Woods to be in Woodstock to be uh, recognized by the Sullivan County establishment. Yeah, that was, that was absolutely fascinating. You're right. It was absolutely fascinating. I mean, we, we, we tracked that. John, Johnny tracks down most of these people. Um but we tracked down Sister Suzanne Bunn, who's given the peace sign in the movie where yeah. they freeze frame on her. And we talked to her for an hour or so. And, you know. And that that's the only time. We don't talk to a lot of yeah. nuns. Yeah. We, um, <laughs> that's the only time I've ever had a conversation with a nun other than when I was a child. So that, that was making me nervous from the, <laughs> that, that was unique. People, people. It was, you know, it, it was interesting though. Um, what you were saying about Lenny, um, because between Lenny and Gerald Abramson and her, her late husband, Roy Howard, you know, when, even when I first started going to Bethel, which was, uh, got well over 20 years ago, pushing 25 now, um, that was a very closed off town to their their own history. They even back then, they still wanted nothing to do with Woodstock. They didn't care about it. They barely wanted to acknowledge it. There were a couple of places in town that did. Um, but generally speaking, they didn't want to know. And it was really Lenny and Gerald and Gerald's uh, late husband, Roy Howard, who went to bat and fought the, you know, as I always say, they fought the wars in the town. And it, it helped that Lenny was on, you know, local government board. But, um, you know, they really started opening minds. It took many years to do it because, you know, the effect of Woodstock was so traumatic on that tiny little conservative town. Right. Um, but they really were like a can opener, just slowly opening this town up. And um, I think anybody who who goes up there to enjoy shows of Bethel Woods, goes to see the Woodstock field, um, stops to, you know, into Hector's Inn, which was the bar that was there in 69 is still there. All these kind of landmark type places that you can freely go to and talk about Woodstock. Now you really kind of have, you know, Lenny Binder and um, Gerald Abramson and Roy Howard to thank for that because it just took them absolutely forever. And it just boggles the mind because, you know, how long does it take for somebody to realize that they can make money doing this? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just silly. And the other thing, too, is like, you know, kind of keeping on that track. Um, I remember when I was in college and probably it was quite a while. There was some time after Woodstock 99. We'll put mm. it that way. But I remember reading a news item saying that at some point they were going to try and develop 
Yasgur's property. This was before into some kind of, sounded like some kind of condominium or whatever. And then eventually, of course, Bethel Woods happened, which, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Alan Geary, who who has owned that property for many years, um, he was just looking to develop it as some sort of a commercial property. So anything he could have made money off of, condos could have been an option. God help us, an industrial park could have been an option. You know, there were several. And um, the consortium that came in to put Bethel Woods together, I thank goodness that they came in when they did and that Alan was as receptive as he was because um, I think he just thought it was just this useless piece of otherwise useless piece of property that a bunch of people came to see every year. So, (laughs) you know, it was that, you know, that was sort of the attitude back then. It's crazy. Yeah, we were very fortunate that it stayed the way it is. Yeah. And so um, if I recall correctly, Johnny, you it was just you and Scott originally. And then maybe Johnny came in around maybe the fifth or sixth episode. Am I kind of getting that as a host? It was Scott originally. I came in in episode seven and Johnny came in episode 10. Yes, we we dragged Johnny out of the pit to come and work with us. I probably put them both in a pit after they got me. It's like a rattlesnake pit, maybe. No, that's Johnny's thing is he's the bloodhound. He will find all these people and line them all up for interviews. So he's, you know, invaluable on this team. So um, how do you find your guests? Do you seek them out? Do they seek you out? Or is it kind of maybe like a little bit of both? Well, a lot of these people I had already met like, for example, Jerry Martini, who's the sliding the family stone. He's a rock and roll hall of you know, saxophonist. He's a rock and roll hall of famer. I've known him for over 20 years by meeting that when you travel a long distance to meet people and especially my obscure personality, <laughs> I kind of make a lasting impression on them. So, but no, I, so a lot of these people, it was easy for me because I've been in contact with them for, you know, 10, 20 years. But a lot of them were easy. Now, Lenny Binder was easy to find, but I didn't know if she would be receptive to the idea. I just thought I'd give it a shot. Now, the, for example, we, we mentioned the Sister Suzanne Bunn, the Sister Suzanne the Nun. I saw an article on her, you know, and I thought I looked her up and I thought, you know, she had a listed uh, number and I said, I'm going to call her. Nothing will become of this. I'm sure, but it's worth a shot. And luck, she called me back and I almost flipped out. And, and a a, a lot of it is, you know, the internet and you call, you know, you do a a search and you see so-and-so played with so-and-so and and then you call (laughs) so-and-so You just follow leads. And some of some people do sort of approach us. They do. Yeah, we do. Get like that. you approached us. Yeah. 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 That's, <laughs> you know, it's kind of, yeah, you do get that every once in a while. And as the audience for the show grows, you get more yeah. people wanting to tell their stories, which we always welcome because, um, you know, th- like Jack always says, there's a half million stories just in the audience so you know yeah. we'll never get there but <laughs> you know it, it's fun trying and facebook so, helps right. facebook helps because these there's these woodstock 
Facebook groups and you see someone say, yeah, I was there. And then I, I jot that name. Okay. I got to contact this person. And then a lady says, for example, I was there. And then Jack or Scott will contact them or they'll tell me, did you see that post? Yeah. And we just, you know, you just, it's, it's just it, the fun is trying to track the people down and it's fun for me anyway, trying to, talk them into being on the show, but so it, sometimes it's become <laughs> more of an adventure than a hobby because, you know, some people, eh, I don't think so. And then you have to, try to coax them into it and sell them on the idea. And then there've been a few that I gave up on and then they contacted me. I'm like, uh, sure. And I'm thinking, I thought you didn't want to do this, but you know, it, it's, it, it's a good thing though. But like I said, without the internet, it wouldn't be so easy. Yeah, easy. But, it's Johnny but Scott Southern. Scott and I go up there every once in a while too, and you know, because I'm an hour south. Scott's not far, and he's there fairly two hours too. Yeah, two hours. So we're there, and we'll run into people. Yeah, and then we start talking to them about. I've actually told people about the podcast, and have gone onto their phones and said, "Okay." Here's the podcast app. Here's mm -hmm. our podcast. Here's how you download it. Okay, you're subscribed. And then they start listening to it. And they're like, yeah, I mm. want to be on this thing. Yeah. Aaron, not just off topic, but I'm just curious. How far are you um, in terms of a drive from Bethel Woods? Um, I'm about, I would say about a three hour drive. That's not okay. bad. Yeah. Oh, I, th I thought you were, I thought you were more like four. So that's, that's pretty good. Well, it's a little bit more like four because when I drive, I tend to like stop once an hour. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, it's a two, you know, from here in Connecticut, we're on the Western side of Connecticut. So it's, um, just two hours if you drive straight through. So, you know, and nobody ever drives straight through, but I was, I was just curious. It's off topic. But, oh, no, know. it's, it's fine. As long, as long as we're off topic, how do you pronounce yeah. your last name, Aaron? Uh, Sheer. Okay. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure. And I figured, let me ask. Yeah. Because I have yeah. a friend of mine spells, uh, her name, the same, it has the same spelling of her last name also pronounces it Sheer. So, you know, good. All right. We're on, we're on it here. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> All right. So, um, so like, obviously, you know, you talk about some of like the, the more obscure stories of Woodstock and that's what it's primarily focused on. But, you know, as we've mentioned every so often, you'll get like a wavy gravy. Um, right. You've had uh, Rona Barrett. And Rona Elliott. Rona, Rona Elliott. Elliott. I'm sorry. Yeah. I messed it up. I confused it. And then Artie Kornfeld and Jonathan Taplin, yeah. who yep. is, yep. who worked, uh, he was, I think, the band's road manager, and then he mm -hmm. went on to yes. work for Martin Scorsese. So what's the, yeah. you know, what are some of the challenges of getting, like, a more famous guest? And I'd be curious to how you got Wavy Gravy and Jonathan Taplin in particular. Oh, well, it took John, a year. Johnny, uh, Johnny books the show mostly. Yeah, mostly. Yeah, it, it took over a year to get Mr. Taplin. I mean, it wasn't that he was, he, he was just too busy. He had a book, you know, he had, he, the, his new book came out. We plugged it on the show. It's a fabulous book. And he the said, well, I'll get back. Available yeah. at Amazon and at your local bookstore. <laughs> yes, we highly recommend it. 
And finally, okay. finally, I was able to get him on the show. Uh, Wavy was very simple. I looked up, you know, his real name and I found it and I called. <laughs> that was very, it's not always that simple. Sometimes, you know, you have, like I said, you have to find a name, you know, a couple of times people have written articles, people that are journalists and I'll email them, email them. And I'll say, uh, you know, so-and-so you did a, an article on him five years ago and thinking, you know, I don't have a chance with this. And they'll say, okay, well, here's his email address or I'll forward your email to him. So, but some of the, and yeah, the you know, like Carlos Santana, you know, he's we want to get him, but you know, we that that's a big fish, so to speak. But mm -hmm. you know, obviously, we want to get any everyone. You know, you look but, at but, people, su but success breeds success, and as yeah. we grow, we are getting more bigger marquee names. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. when we started this, I never would have dreamed of talking to John Morris. Yeah, and we did. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and you know Rona Elliott, and you know we we had met Artie Kornfeld, and Artie Kornfeld, Artie Kornfeld knows me. He's called me. Johnny's good friends with him, and it's like okay, so you you leverage the friendship. But every time you get a name on, oh, we had so and so on. Listen to that episode. You know, you, so and so can listen to the episodes, and then it keeps building. And you know, it's kind of like you know. You know, you know, they know they know you're in the club if you talk to so and so. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, it's kind of like I have a um because of my time with Juma, I started meeting people of some renown. And I met a um famous art, you know, an artist and a musician. And I didn't really start talking to her until I was sitting next to her girlfriend and befriended her girlfriend at the time. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, well, if he's being nice to her. Who's not going to do anything for him. You know, he's not using her in any way. Then I'll be friends with him, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you build trust. And I think we're starting to. Yeah, and well, I had a guy talk to Carlos Santana tomorrow, but <laughs> yeah. hopefully he may. Yeah, never know. Never know. Oh, we're we're. I mean, I've con I've contacted someone to be honest with you that was close to him, but I never heard back. But I don't give up. No, but it was funny. I had a a guy who will be a guest on the show. This was funny. He made me sound like I was, you know, like I was a bail bondsman. And I, you know, I mean, a bounty hunter, excuse me. And I was tracking him down. He answered the phone. I didn't even, I had left him a message. I wasn't even sure if it was the right guy. And I called him and he answered the phone and he goes, okay, all right, you tracked me down. I owe you an interview since you found me. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, like, like he was in a, you know, some a cave somewhere up in you yeah. know some crazy third world country i'm like it's bond is set at five hundred thousand dollars yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean you have a listed number i mean it's not that hard mm -hmm. it was just funny he said you tracked me down so i owe you an interview <laughs> 
I'm like, well, I appreciate it, but it was just funny the way he put it. I still laugh at that. So well, it, I figured go ahead. I would maybe speaking of Jonathan Taplin, maybe try to show the shirt that I have on right now. Hey. I don't <laughs> yep. I was going to ask you if that was Levon. Yes, yeah. it's hey. Levon. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Where'd you get that up there? Uh, I got it actually at uh, Levon's uh, barn. Oh, uh, the Woodstock. yeah, one of the Midnight the Rambles. Woodstock. Yep. Wood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my God, beautiful place up there, and they still they still hold shows up there and all that stuff. It's an amazing yeah. place. I haven't been yet. Oh yeah, no, it's great. Um, I had a friend of mine come in from Scotland, and he's a huge band fanatic. And he refused to leave the property until he was quietly escorted away <laughs> because he just didn't want to leave the holy ground. He was just like, no, I'm going to hold <laughs> on to this building for the rest of my days. But no, uh, security made sure he didn't. So. <laughs> yeah, one of the great regrets of my life was not going to one of his uh, barn yeah. parties. Yeah, uh, but I don't rambles. know if I could have afforded it at that point. But I mean, that's I mean, I've heard wonderful things about those parties over the years. Oh, yeah. they were just amazing. You know, it's not it wasn't uncommon to see somebody like uh, Donald Fagan from Steely Dan, the lead singer of Steely Dan, show up or any Maybe number. Donald of, like, Fagan lives there. Yeah. Libby Titus's new husband. Mm -hmm. So Libby Titus was married to. Levon. Levon and is the mother of Amy Helm. Mm -hmm. So they kind of try. I mean, they just travel in the same circles mm -hmm. and they're friends and they yeah. became friends, which is maybe a little weird because you're friends <laughs> with your ex-wife's ex. new husband, but sometimes it works out like that. Yeah. I mean, I'd probably be friends with him too. If you know, if it was, you know, if you well, if you it's the lead singer of Steely Dan, you know, okay. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and, and I'm like you. I I never went. I never went to one of the concerts up there. But I met Levon about six, seven times. But I never, I never got a picture with him, which I regretted. And I never, and I never went to one of those. You know, up there at his place in in Woodstock. I, I've been to Woodstock, New York, but I never, I just never got around to getting up there to one of those concerts. I do regret that, just as as you did, as mm -hmm. you said. Shared by two instead of only one. 
And that's our show. Keep the dream flowing. A Woodstock 1969 podcast was produced and edited by Scott Parker. Your hosts were Jack Lekensky, Johnny Hudson, and Scott Parker. Keep the dream flowing. A Woodstock 1969 podcast has a Facebook page where you can catch up on all the latest Woodstock hullabaloo. Keep the dream flowing. A Woodstock 1969 podcast is not affiliated in any way with Woodstock Ventures or any of its individual partners or entities. On behalf of Jack Lekensky and Johnny Hudson, this is Scott Parker saying thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time. Say she's walking away